It's good to be here this morning. Uh, thanks for having me. I just want to start by saying thank you for all that came yesterday, filled this room up, and packaged food. There was, there was a table in the middle that was definitely the loudest table. Um, if you were part of that table, you know who you were. Um, they did pack a lot of food, though. But my goodness, 60,000 meals packed. Uh, that's incredible. And, and the, the incredible, yes, you can clap. That's 60,000. The, in, the incredible thing about our partnership, and, and it's very, very unique, uh, is I, I do consider you all family. And I, I feel that when I come here. Uh, the relationship that you have with our family, uh, the relationship that you have with the country of Haiti, it really touches us. And I just want to say thank you for partnering with us in that way. If, you, if I could fast forward you to Haiti and let you sit with the mom that's praying that her child would get that meal. And to know that yesterday, 60,000 of those prayers were answered. That's a big deal for that mom, for that child. So thank you for being a part of that. Thank you for those that have given to, to help pay for that. Um, it, it is a blessing, and it helps us do what we do. I want to start with having my family stand up that are here. If you guys could stand up real quick. You all need to see how they're, how they're doing. Um, <laughs> Vanessa, my wife. <laughs> and Bo, our youngest son. Jam, our youngest daughter. Behind them, JD, our oldest son. Georgie, our oldest daughter. Thanks, guys. <laughs> and Jam has already tried to it, sell me on the, the, the importance of staying longer because school's not that important. So... <laughs> We will be leaving this afternoon, though. Uh, I just want to tell you about our partnership and what you partnering with, with us has allowed us to do for the Lord in Haiti. A few highlights of this past year. This past year, we were able to impact over 153,000 lives for the gospel. Uh, that's an amazing number. Um, this next year, we're hoping, ne hoping to impact over 200,000. But this year, we celebrate that, that 153,000 lives. Over 1,500 people made first-time commitments to follow Christ. Amen. That's a big one. Um, over 30,000 people were helped medically. That means 30,000 folks. Many times it's a mom that has a sick baby. They come to the clinic or we go to their church and work out of there. They were helped medically, and they also were able to have a chance to hear the gospel. Um, so it's an incredible thing. That number also includes our prosthetics lab. Over 500 people that had that in the earthquake lost limbs were able to get limbs again and be able to walk through our therapy. We had an eye clinic now that's open. And people that have come in that haven't been able to see for years are able to start to see again. It's a, that's a, almost miraculous to them to put glasses on and they can actually see the words on a page. And then we also have our dental clinic where we have people come in and that die, people in Haiti die from having abscesses. So they're able to come in and be treated. So it's a real miracle. So thank you for your support of that. We also were able to, how many of you have been to Levesque? If you've been to Levesque, that community, yeah, a lot of you. We were able to build our final home there this, this month. We just finished it, 615 homes. When we started the project, the government gave us land right after the earthquake. We prayed for 500 homes. And just like God, he did 615 homes. We were able to move those families in, and, and if, I could, if I could just let you see the blessing and the joy that's on their face to walk into that house for the first time. Uh, not only did we build homes, though, we put a church in the community that ministers throughout the community. We also were able to build a school there. So God did incredible things through, through that community, but we were able to say, that's it, we're, we're finished building homes there. 
We're working with over 3,000 farmers. The reason we work with those farmers is because we want to do what you did here yesterday in Haiti so that we're supporting the local farmers through the local churches. We're, actually, we're able to employ the folks to package the food and to also feed the kids. For 25 cents a meal, we've, we've got it figured out that we can actually do everything we did yesterday, but all the products be Haitian meals from the Haitian farmers. So it really does a lot for the economy there. It encourages that farmer. And we even have a program that we're working with the, the local churches uh, to, to teach them to farm and to teach the, the pastors how to disciple the farmers. So it's a really, it's an exciting program. This past year, we had over 6,600 children in our school system. Those are 6,600 lives that we're able to give them the best education in Haiti, as well as we're able to disciple them and teach them about who Christ is and the plans that God has for their lives. We had over 5,000 folks just like you that came down and worked with us. And the, the best part about that is you all help us go faster on the vision that God's given us. But at the same time, the one thing that I love to see is what God does in your life. And our hope is that you're changed there and you come back here and you, you operate different. You're on a mission of hope yourselves here. We're able to feed over 90,000 people a day. Our goal is next year to be up to 125,000. We have 70,000 people on a waiting list right now. 70,000 moms and dads that are praying that someday their, their children will get that meal, that 90,000 gift. So that's what God did this past year. I want to tell you what we're planning to do this next year and we're praying for uh, the first thing is we, our Grace House. Many of you that have been to Haiti saw either the Grace House starting or you, you've seen it, uh, the, you've heard the plans of it. But the Grace House is an elderly center. In Haiti, if you are elderly, many times you're, you're forsaken when you get old enough that you don't have family around. So if you could walk through some of these homes that are basically just a, a tin roof with elderly sitting in there, it'd break your heart. Because these are truly Haiti, Haiti's jewels. These are the people that have seen Haiti through the good and the bad. They've seen God move in their lives. And so we want to bring them in. The Grace House is a place that they'll come in. They'll be able to live there. And then our kids that are in the orphanage will work there with the, with the folks that are living there. And we can't wait for them to teach our kids, the next generation, what they've learned about Haiti and about the Lord. It's going to be an exciting place. So that opens this next year. As well as we thought we were done building homes until... Until a group came down and they said, hey, we want to build 90, 90 homes for the people in Minotry. These are people that had been living in blue tents for six years since the earthquake. If you can imagine every night going to bed with your kids uh, sitting next to you and the thought that a razor blade could come through and steal everything you have or, or hurt your children. That was the reality that most of these people have lived with since the earthquake. But now there's a group that has come down and they said, we want to we get involved. And so far, they've, they've already funded 50 of those 90 homes. We got a call two weeks ago from a group out of Atlanta that said, we want a proposal to fund 100 homes. We gave them the proposal and they came back and they said, we can't fund 100, we're going to fund 115. So in the same community. So we're back to building homes. But the beauty of that is in Minotry, it has a large population of prostitution because it's a trucking village. So we're building those homes there as well as we're building a factory there for three cords and some other products that we're going to make that the ladies can then get a job. And right next to the factory, we're building a daycare center and a school. So moms will actually be able to bring their children in, drop them off at daycare before they're of age of school, go to the factory and have a job. We believe that'll cut down greatly on the, the sex trades that are happening there. So we're really excited about what God's doing 
in that, that part. Another thing that we've prayed for for so many years and is finally coming to fruition is a technical school. We're finally opening the technical school. God's given us the resources to do that. We're partnering with an organization that's teaching us all the building skills. So our first building will be all of your carpentry, electric, HVAC, all of those to a U.S. standard. So our kids, when they come in, they're going to come in and get some of the best education, and we know they're going to get jobs when they leave us because of the education they're getting. For after that, the next year, we're going to open up an IT, hospitality, teacher school, and diesel mechanics and auto body. So we're believing that God is going to do great things through these kids. Uh, and this is kind of the final step for us to be able to take them from a place where they were three years old, educate them, and now give them the next step. So we're excited about what God's doing through that. And the last piece of information of what I know God's going to do this next year is we're going to build a high school in Bercy. We have a grade school there now. That's the, government, the land that the government, gave, or the government gave us that land on the ocean. And we've built a grade school so far, but now we've got to keep the kids growing so we can get them ready for technical school or university. So God has big things in store uh, for this next year, and we're excited to have you all partner with us. And we want to thank you for just the, the depth of the partnership and the way that you've leaned in. Uh, I want to I tell you, this is the first time, Vanessa and I spoke about this on the drive up. As we were driving up, it's the first time that we've come up here and realized we may not see snow. Um, <laughs> which I'm not, I'm not saying I'm not, I'm kind of happy for that. Um, I will say you have nice shrubs out in front of the church and some nice mulch work, never seen that before. Um, so it's good to be here when the weather's like it is. Um, but as we were driving up, I was, I was thinking back, and this, I think it was last week, my, my team, which was the Indianapolis Colts, the Peyton Manning retired from the Broncos, but he played years for the Colts. And I, started, I was thinking about football, so I'm driving up here, I'm, I know I'm going into some football country. So I want to see by a rate, showing of hands, who, who here is a Vikings fan? Oh, that's a lot. Okay. Who here is, uh, now this is going to take, this is going to take some bravery to do this. Who's here is a Green Bay fan? All right, there's a few brave souls out there. I hope nobody knows what car you're driving. <laughs> um, well, I'm a football fan. I love football. I'm a Colts fan. And, and you know, when Indianapolis, uh, so the Colts moved from Baltimore in the middle of the night by Mayflower, we call it when the Mayflower landed in Indianapolis, and we had the Colts show up. And the Colts were not good when they first came to Indy. I mean, they, I remember going to college and buddies of mine would go, hey, you want to go see the Colts? I got free tickets. I'm like, no, I'd rather study. I mean, that's kind of where the Colts were at during that time. They just weren't very good. So you grow up and you, and you kind of have this expectation that the Colts are going to lose. I mean, that's just kind of what happens. Well, in 2003, Peyton Manning had been with the Colts for a while. We were having our first really good season. We were undefeated. Peyton's starting to roll. The team's starting to gel. They go into Tampa Bay on a Monday night. Now, I'm in Haiti, and all of us are sitting there watching this game, and they start playing right off the bat. Peyton throws an interception, runs back for a touchdown. By halftime, the score's 21 to nothing, Tampa Bay. So everybody goes to bed except for me because I'm, I'm believing this is the year as a good fan would. And so I'm sitting there watching the game. Second half comes back out, same stuff. They, Peyton throws another pick. We have more touchdowns. By the four minutes left in the game, it's 35 to 14. Colts are losing. And he just th had thrown another interception, so I said, that's it. I've seen these Colts before. I know how this is going to end. I'm going to bed. 
So I went to bed, got up the next morning, grabbed my coffee, was sitting at the computer, and as you can probably guess, 38 to 35 in overtime, the Colts won. It was the beginning of what people believe was the Peyton Manning legacy. It was when I realized that the game was never over until it was over, and we had to stay in it. You know, many times in life, though, when we've seen failure, when we've seen people fail, I believe that whether it be our team, whether it be ourselves, whether it be a friend or a family member, or whether it be a nation, we're prone to give up. We're prone to just kind of say, it's never going to happen. But that's not how our God operates. God is a God of restoration. I know this because there's been so many times that he's restored me, so many times that I've messed things up, and he's been a God of restoration in my life. And so if you'd open your Bibles, or they're going to put it up on the screen here, to Ephesians 2.10. This verse, when I read it, is a powerful verse. And, I, and my prayer is that you can soak it in like I have. This is what it says. This is Paul writing, and he says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The first thing is this, is it says we're God's handiwork. My first point is we are God's workmanship. I want you to take that in for a minute because when you go back to the Greek, it translates and shows that we are his beautiful poem, God's work of art. God has made you his work of art. And I brought today from one of my favorite Haitian artists. Um, This is a painting by a guy named Jojo. Uh, Jojo has signed it. He always signs it right there. If you could see this painting, this painting is textured. It's got a beautiful texture to it. I keep it in my office. And Jojo has no arms or no legs. Uh, I've, I've watched him actually paint. And he, he'll hold the brush in his mouth, or he has a, a little stump that he ties it to and brushes, uh, puts the brush on that. But the reality of what Jojo, when he starts, is many times what we see is if you look at the back of this canvas, it's stained here. It's got some dirt on it. It's blue and and white striped. It's a cloth that he bought at the market. Many times in our lives, I think when we look at, you know, if if you think, well, what am I to God's workmanship? This is kind of how we see our lives. We see the back of the canvas of our lives. We see that maybe there's some stains and we're not very pretty. Uh, Maybe it looks like it's old fabric. But we don't know the work that God's doing. When we turn it around and we see the work that God's doing in our lives, we can see that it's a beautiful work of art. It's his art. There was a time that uh, Michelangelo was, he had a huge rock in front of him, and he was chiseling away at it. And someone come by, and they said, they said, what are you doing? What are you doing chipping away at this shapeless piece of rock? And he said, I'm liberating an angel from this stone. You see, many times God is working on us, and we don't even know what he's doing, but he's liberating us. There was a young lady that came to Haiti named Rachel. Rachel was from Canada. She made it very well known that she protested everybody. She protested the the Canadian prime minister. She was very much against President Bush at the time, protested him. She said, I'm not a believer, but I want you to know I I want to take pictures uh, in Haiti for you. So she was a great photographer. She took pictures. After time, though, God began to work on her. She went home after that trip, and we got a call from her pastor, and they said that she had accepted the Lord. After that, we got a call from her and said, I was supposed to go to another country, but my visa was denied, so can I come to Haiti? So she moved to Haiti, and she taught our kids in school. Not too long after that, we didn't realize, but God was chiseling away at Rachel. God moved her into our orphanage. She found a love for the kids of Haiti. 
And she led our orphanage up to today where there's kids that are, are going into university because of what she did. But God was still working on Rachel to the point now where she's not just working with our orphanage, but she's working with orphanages all across Haiti for Haiti One. You see, God is working on each one of us. We are his workmanship. The question is, are we willing to allow him to work? The second thing in this verse says, Jesus, work in us, produces good works that come from us. So his work in us is not just for his work so he can hang our lives up on the wall and go, wow, look, that turned out well. But his work in us produces works that come from us for him. You see, we, when we allow God to work in our lives, the natural outcome is that we work for him. It flows out of us. The, the problem is right now there's a void in the world. If we look around, there's a void. And that void is we know that God's working in our lives, but are we willing to allow what he's doing in our lives to go into the world? It, it's like God's forming us, and sometimes we take those things, and I know I do, and we put them up on a shelf almost like a trophy, not realizing that what he was shaping us to be was a tool that was meant to be used. Sometimes we use that gift for things that are just for us. And I want to share with you about one story of a, a man that I've met. He's a good friend um, that, of the ministry. And he started in his garage. He was a pastor's son, started in his garage, just nailing frames together, picture frames. People started to like him, so he opened a small store in Oklahoma making picture frames, and then it slowly evolved into some hobby things that they would put in there. Today, he's the owner of Hobby Lobby. And David Green is an incredible model of God just chiseling away and then him giving back. He's given millions and millions away to ministries all over the world. But he's God's workmanship. And he realized that, that it, it produces works. Another man that I met just recently, uh, last week actually, was an HVAC technician. He came up to me after I shared about the technical school and he said, I've been an HVAC technician all my life. And I just realized today that God could use that gift. You see, those things that you do that make a living, if you're a student, if you're an IT person, if you're a salesman or saleswoman, a nurse, a doctor, if you're retired, those things, God's crafted you for that. The challenge is, will you meet the need? If you think around this, just this area, the needs that are here, just think for a minute, one need. It may be a young girl that just became pregnant. And she's thinking of having an abortion. It could be a homeless person. Every need, I'm, I, I believe, in this area, God has handcrafted that person to meet that need that's here. The question is, are we willing to say, God, you've handcrafted me. I'm not going to make my life a trophy. I'm going to make my life a tool to be used by you. Here's the third thing. God is working in advance. This is awesome. Vanessa and I have seen this. God is working in advance. Today, God is preparing you for tomorrow. When we went to Haiti, we had no clue what we were going to do other than that we were going to try to win Haiti for Christ. The U.S. military came in before us and built an eight-room schoolhouse. A year later, they came back and they built another eight rooms. We didn't know that God was going to do that. God just said, go, and we went, and the U.S. military came in. God orchestrated that in advance. In 2009, We'd been in existence for quite a while. I got a call from a group in Canada, and they said, uh, Brad, we want to send you an ambulance. We got an ambulance here. I said, well, here's the deal. We have a clinic. We, don't, that, we stay in the clinic. People come to us. We don't go out. They said, okay, thank you. 
week later, they call me back. Brad, we've thought about this. We really want to send you this ambulance. And I said, well, if you really want to send it, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to get it, and I'll put it in our yard where we keep our vehicles, and it's going to stay there until someday we can use it. And they said, okay. I thought, no way. They're, not, they're going to send this? They sent it. So we got the ambulance. We put it in there. After we had the ambulance, 2009, I get a call from an EMT from Canada, and he says, my family and I, we, we feel like God's telling us to move to Haiti. And I said, Grant, here's the thing. We have a clinic. We, have a, we, have a, we do have an ambulance, but it's not going to go anywhere because it doesn't have license plates on it. And if you come here, you're not going to go out on emergencies because we don't do that. What you can do, though, is teach first aid. And again, I thought, you know, for an EMT, I'm throwing him kind of the no way. We're, you're going to teach first aid. He goes, perfect. We're coming. I thought, Okay, so, so all of a sudden, in 2009, I have an ambulance that I have no plans on using, and an EMT that the plan now is to underutilize him, and he comes down, and then 2010 hits, earthquake. We're one of two ambulances on the island, and the only EMT. You see, God works in advance in our lives. He's preparing you right now for tomorrow. And my challenge to you would be this. Don't give up. Like I did the Colts, don't give up. There is greatness in what God has. Many times we give up on ourselves. Sometimes we give up on others. We say there's no way God could fix them. Yet the author of this book is a guy named Paul who was Saul. That if you ask before he had an encounter with Christ, everybody that was a believer in that time would have said, no way. He's a murderer. He's the worst of the worst. And yet when he had an encounter with Christ, his life was radically transformed. And today, we follow and read what he says. Maybe it's a nation. People give up on nations. Many people ask us, why Haiti? They've given up on the country of Haiti. The reality is God's got great things. But even, in, even to go a step further, where God put us in Haiti is a place called Titaien, which means less than nothing. So God put us in a country that's forsaken by most in a place that's called less than nothing. And the reason I believe he did that is because our God's a God of restoration. And he wants to restore that city and that country so that he gets the glory. Speaking of restoration, I want you to watch a video here of what God's done in a young man that came up through Mission of Hope. His name's Olkin. And I want to challenge you with this. You watch this video. Number one, understand that you are his workmanship. Where you're at right now, he's working on you. He's working on me. And my prayer is that when you walk out of here today, you can't walk out and walk by that need that your gift meets. That you'll use your gift, that workmanship, and you'll apply it. And you'll do good works right here as well as in Haiti. And that we can celebrate all that God's doing because he is a God of restoration. Thank you. 